adswerve.com broke $100 million last year in revenue, serving 800 customers, 60% of which are agencies directly, each of those folks paying north of $100,000 in terms of ACVs, really for Clint's help to onboard them onto a lot of variety of different Google products related to their ad tech platforms. They have raised no capital, although they do work with a private equity firm to facilitate some M&A deals in the past and do some secondary team of 160 people based in Denver. As they look to scale, they try and optimize for less than a one-year payback period, but they are definitely in no rush with 30% EBITDA margins, taking plenty of cash to the bottom line every month. Hello, everybody. My guest today is Clint Tassett. He's the founder and CEO of a company called AdSorve, a premier Google partner that empowers data-driven marketers to achieve more success by using media and analytics technology together. Clint, you ready to take us to the top? Definitely, Nathan. Thank you for having me. You bet. Hey, so just to be clear, is this more of an agency or are you kind of a SaaS product enabling agencies? I would say what makes this unique is it's a bit of a hybrid of both. So AdSorve not only helps to bring consultative services and support services out to market, but that's paired with more of that Google Enterprise SaaS-based model of technology. So we're kind of in a unique space that we're sort of hybriding between the two. If you look at your revenue over the past 12 months, what percent would you categorize as SaaS versus agency? It depends on which product model. Some of our product models are very 50-50 because they're very service-driven. And then other products are going to be more just SaaS-based model where they're almost I'd say 80 to 90%, where we're just kind of helping with the platforms like licensing and distribution. Okay, interesting. All right, tell me more about the product. What do you guys do in How to Make Money? So what we've been able to do is sort of look at Google's infrastructure and their enterprise-level marketing tools and really help to bring those out to market for, initially it was agencies and marketers alike, where they may not be able to find a ability to gain access to those products in a direct relationship with Google, but then backfill the support and the service needs to help them to be effective with those tools. So we do everything from ultimately from uh, consultative services to help build some of that future vision towards how these products are going to best align with the marketer's goals, all the way through the implementation, as well as then operating with some of the the services and support that might be needed on an operational basis. So for this call, let's double down on the more productized part of your business. Describe that product to me. So I'm on your site right now. I don't see a lot of products as I see services, but talk to me about one of the products you, you sell a lot of. So the, the products that we help bring to market for Google will basically be their entire GMP stack. So that's everything from like thinking legacy double click. So yeah. they'd be kind of the former like double click campaign manager, DB360. Data uh, Studio. Data, yep. And then yeah. you think about like Data Studio, but then also like GA360. So kind of the, the paid analytics, enterprise level analytics platform. So those would ultimately be the products when we think about kind of that SaaS based like technology. But I think that's what makes us unique is we pair that with like our product you could say is more of the consultative tech services that help our clients to actually extract the value of those technologies. Yeah. So just to be clear, you are reselling Google products. And the reason you're able to win that that deal flow is because you're putting consultative touch on the install process, helping your clients get set up properly on Studio Creative, Data Studio, Optimize 360, etc. Exactly. Yep. I see. Okay. When did you launch the agency? What year? So we started back in late 2009. I was actually still working internal at, I was a former double clicker. <laughs> and then uh, went through the Google acquisition. And so basically founded AdSwerve late 2009, kind of post-Google acquisition. Okay. And now today, help me understand, typically, are you working with kind of SMBs that are paying you a couple hundred bucks or more like enterprise people paying you hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 per install? So that's kind of the long, the legacy story was a lot of the founding roots of AdSwerve was really about that kind of SMB to mid-cap client base that was really looking more for the accessibility of gaining access to the platform. 
That has since evolved into our ability to showcase how we're able to act in that consultative space that now we're working in more of that enterprise level relationship as well. Okay, so if I forced you to do an average, what would you say the average customer is going to pay you per year, per retainer, per install, whatever you measure by? So it depends on whether we want to include media on this or not. No media. So that's where it's going to be. No media. So if we, if we were to extract media out of it, I would say... In excess of six figures, typically. Okay. Okay. Got it. So you are then, and are they paying you all that up front, or is it like a ten grand a month retainer for a year minimum? So it depends. Typically, GA installs are going to be on a monthly retainer minimum, and then on media, it, it's more on usage. So you got clients that are going to be evergreen, and they're going to be very consistent every month. And you got other clients that might run a very heavy Q4 campaign. So it's a little bit more in the rears in the sense of being built on kind of actual usage of the platform. But again, ignoring the media spend, right? Just again, and that's still even because a lot of the cost is actually around the media. And it's even though we're not passing media through in this in that part of the value, it still is going to be on the actual media of, of overall volume. So if we think about like, let's say how many impressions were served or how many clicks were we ultimately tracking to, to gain access to certain attribution models, things like that. Nature. Okay, interesting. All right. Oh, nine was launch date. How many customers have you scaled today? So right now, I think we're effectively operating about 800 unique relationships and five to 6,000 different advertisers. So we consider the agency relationships that we hold. Yeah. Okay. So I don't understand what that means. So we, we operate both with direct marketers as well as supporting agencies alike. We're not technically an agency. We almost think of ourselves as kind of agency agnostic in the fact that we actually help enable agencies and also partner with them as well. So who's actually paying you? The agency is paying you to help install one of their clients and then you're selling Google stuff on the back end? Like this seems very complex to me. <laughs> a little bit. So if you're a direct marketer and you brought a lot of your media in-house, we might be helping to enable some of that process. We're seeing more marketers want to own their data, want transparency into that data. And they still may be working with agencies, but they're sort of making that sort of future sort of goal of taking that level of ownership. Historically, a lot of agencies have actually owned this tech stack and ultimately done it as kind of a part of their service model on behalf of their marketer relationships. And so it's a little bit dependent. Some agencies still hold the, the servicing of these technical products. And so we help to support the agency in those relationships. But there are, you probably heard of the in-housing kind of going on. Sure. If we just double down into last year, so 2018, in 2018, how many customers did you work with directly? Who paid you to set up some form of attribution or et cetera on a, on a Google product? So I would say combining our two entities of AdSwerve and Analytics Pros, which was a was an acquisition that we did last year. Again, it was the 800. Like if we said, how many companies do we work with directly? Okay. Those are all paid. Those aren't no free users in there. Correct. Yes. Okay. Those are all paid, yeah, paid clients. Within that, though, there's about 60% of those would be agencies. And those agencies we're supporting might have multiple clients inside of those. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, good. And then help me understand kind of the team. What's your team look like today? How many folks? So right now we're about 160 okay. um, and growing typically about five to 10 headcount every, every month, I think. And it ranges everything from heavy ad tech backgrounds to a lot of the analytics folks where they might have more data scientists, data engineers. So a pretty broad spectrum that we bring to the table in terms of how we how we solve some of the, the client needs. And Clint, have you bootstrapped the company or did you decide to raise? I started the company back in 2009, very bootstrapped. I literally got 5,000 bucks from my parents as kind of what we put in the bank account to kick this thing off. And that was, that was the only funding that we took at the time. So when we started out, it was very much kind of your, I love your approach. I've seen some of your, your discussions around, you know, doing this without a lot of, a lot of, you know, sort of back end influence coming from other parties. 
And we really did it just, you know, kind of with just a lot of love and labor. So total raise to date is 5,000 bucks. So total raise at this point, we've had a couple different forms of funding. One, we have had some funding in the sense of the acquisition of analytics pros. That was a $24 million acquisition that we did. And that was more on a traditional debt perspective. I have also been able to, to engage with a, a private equity, Avery Group, and they've, they've been able to come aboard with us in a minority deal structure. And that offered both opportunities for us to do that debt opportunity for analytics pros, but also create some form of liquidity for some of the other founders and, and others that have been involved for the last 10 years. Let me try, Clinton, unpack that. You haven't raised traditional capital but you built a great company. You don't want to go public, but you want to get some liquidity for early shareholders. So you say, you know what, Avery? Sure. You can come in and buy 10% of the company, but here's the deal. It's going to be a second. Or By the way, 10% I just made up. I'm just assuming some minority, right? You can, but you can buy some minority of the company, but it's not going to go to operations. It's going to be secondary. The majority of that's going to go to pay out early shareholders, myself, other people that have been here forever. And they're like, yes, of course, we love the business. We're going to do it. And then you also said the other portion of whatever you put in Avery, we're going to use some of that to help fund a $24 million acquisition. How much equity did you have to actually put in for 24 million bucks before you put debt on top? I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head. Okay. But yeah, but But you put some small number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You, so you put a small number into the company and then you put debt on top of the acquisition and they're basically pulling revenue forward based off whatever revenues are from the company when you bought it. And that's what allowed you to use debt. Exactly. Okay. So you, you've really effectively essentially used capital to scale the business without having to raise a bunch of capital and take dilution, which I think is just great. Not a lot of people talk about that. So how'd you figure all that out? being diligent, just running, you know, sort of heads down for a number of years. And then just kind of getting to that point where there was enough interest to be able to start looking at an M&A firm. And so we did find some bankers to work with. They sort of helped educate because I didn't come from that background in, in the uh, in the privatized banking. So a lot of learning went into it. And I think just having good M&A partners that could help us sort of understand what that concept looks like was ultimately very helpful for us to find the right solution. How much total debt did you end up raising? The total debt we ended up pulling was, I think, just around 20. Okay. So not too, yeah. not and, too much. No. And then and, and again, just based on our cash that we have, it's a very short-term kind of engagement with the bank at this point. Yeah, yeah. You're using, you essentially used a lot of that 20 probably to fund the $24 million acquisition of the other company. So you only had to put four or 5 million in of your own cash and that allows you to get some extra leverage, which is nice. Exactly. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so 800 companies today that you're working with, 60% are agencies directly. You mentioned ACVs in kind of the $100,000 range on those. I mean, this is probably an overestimation here, but that would put you at about 8 million bucks a month in revenue. Is that accurate? I would say, on the, yeah. And then we go, we're higher just because we also do some level of media engagement. So, okay. yeah. So, uh, you know, when you start to think about media on top of that, starts definitely putting us well in excess. Dude, of- I love that. Clint, you're surprising me. I thought that was an overestimation. So this is fantastic. Congratulations. And the reason I say that is you very, I mean, you very rarely see a company scale an agency model like this and do it effectively. The only other one I can think of is when I had Silverline CRM on the show and they're doing, I think like, like 15 a month, but they start off trying to build a SaaS company, trying to do both. And they said, we can't do both. We got to go all in on the agency. And you could sense my difficulty in picking up the exact model early on in the interview. I mean, you've carved out this really interesting niche where you're working mostly direct 40%, but there's 60% that's through an agency. And I imagine you do that because it just creates a little buffer. Your margins are a bit higher than a traditional agency for that reason. Yeah. And I think ultimately, when we think about the service that we're providing, if we can enable an agency, that spreads even further. So if I enable an agency and the agency is working on our behalf back with, let's say, five or six clients, ultimately, I've just like quadrupled 
my relationship. So by educating the agency and the agency, we call it like supercharging in a sense, that agency is now almost kind of a partner back to AdSwerve and those five clients are now my clients. Yeah, that's smart. Can you look at growth? So if you're doing call it eight-ish a month right now, obviously put your other revenue on top of it. Do you remember what you were doing like 12 months ago? We're typically running about a 33% year over year growth right now, 33, 36. That, well, that's pretty healthy. So that'd be like six-ish, six and a half million about 12 months ago. That, that's obviously healthy. And then your ad business, is that the, the typical model? You're just taking an ad tax on dollars through the platform? That's, it depends. We've got a couple different models that we work with. In some regards, we do that kind of model because it's very traditional and recognizable within the industry. We have been offering other hourly, more consultative approach. And it goes back to the transparency piece. So our vision is really bringing that layer of data ownership and transparency on behalf of the client and giving them the full transparency, understanding where that media dollar is funneling through and then what our costs are, whether we're doing. So we do some level of man, media ma- managed media for some clients. And that's to your point where that either the uh, service fee might be a percentage of spend and or we might do like an hourly based approach. And how aggressive are you being on getting these customers in the first place? I mean, will you spend first year ACV to acquire the customer? Or are you less aggressive than that? It depends. It kind of depends on just sort of the working relationship that we have and some of the objectives that the customer ultimately has. So because of the diversity of the landscape of what we do on behalf of the customer, we might have a customer coming to us with a GA relationship. And it allots us and affords us that opportunity where we can come in from the media side and say, listen, we see a big vision here programmatically. We might take a pretty significant reduction to help get that vision and strategy rolled out. So that way, once they can see that performance, start driving forward. And that's the piece once it starts kicking off and they see our ability to basically activate on that first party data that we have from analytics they start getting excited, start looking at other avenues we can start to, to Well, bring what's in. the most though, like even if the customer is a perfect fit for you, what's the most kind of in the hole you'll go for a customer? And will you spend, you know, a hundred grand to get a new hundred grand customer that's paying that a year or will you go even deeper? Um, no, I would say that's probably fairly close. It's okay. like in terms of like kind of acquisition costs, I would yeah. say. And I guess it sort of depends. Like in, in many cases, we're blessed and fortunate in the fact that we can leverage typically, like when we think about in the whole, we're not kind of out of pocket per se. It's kind of out of overall relationship costs that have been established. So yep. we kind of sort of pluck out of that kind of and move it over into maybe some other investment for a go forward. Cash flow positive, Tay? Are you burning to drive growth? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Cash flow positive. Like, yeah. can, can you give me a general range? 20%, 40%, 50 north? It's <laughs> so media is kind of shrinking the number a bit. Yeah. It's growing so fast. I mean, there's a point just a couple of years ago, we were about 45%. It's not necessarily a decrease because we're losing anything. It's just a decrease because of pass through revenues. Yeah. 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 That so makes we're sense. We're probably sitting somewhere in the 30% range right now. And it's kind of just ticking down, but ultimately it's not because of loss. Yeah. But I mean, still, that's healthy. If you're right doing 8 million bucks a month, you're taking 2.4 in free cash out of the bottom line. How do you make reinvestment decisions on that cash? So that's been kind of, I, I think right now we're looking at a, at a pretty heavy M&A strategy. You know, we, we we're, we're kind of being aggressive looking at like, what are areas that we can start to expand into? What are additional service models that we can start to expand into? And, and we're, we're our clients ultimately kind of facing some of the strongest headwinds or challenges given the nature of things like ITP 2.2, GDPR, and some of the other industries, you know, things that that we need to be sort of helping them to kind of guide them through. So I think that's kind of where we're seeing the the most investment is just kind of thinking on behalf of our client, helping them just kind of carry that through. That's good. No, M&A makes a lot of sense. And this is obviously a space that I think probably ripe for a roll up because it's so fragmented. Any plans right now to raise capital, even if it is venture debt? 
Fortunately, right now, we don't really have any further capital needs. I mean, I think with our that's the beauty about working with a PE is that at the end of the day, if their vision aligns with ours and the performance drives you know higher and forward, we have plenty of, of cash and equity that we can work with our PE partners to basically make those Get acquisitions. Yeah. yeah. Well, 2019 be your first $100 million year, you think? Uh, no, we did that. We did it last year. You did break it last year. Okay. Yeah. Very good. All right. Let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? So I noticed we both sort of share a little bit of uh, appreciation for, you know, rich dad, poor dad. I, I agree with some of the sentiment that you have, but I also, I love, there's two parts of that book. I just love, I, I think the big part of the, is his ability to sort of explain that kind of that bootstrap, how to just get started. Like yep. it's just that raw, you got to show up that first day make your checklist, start working through it. And you just got to accept that it's not perfect, but it's something. And I love that piece. The second piece is just about the hiring. Your people are your most important, especially when you get started. Those first couple hires are, are really, in my opinion, the make or break. They are. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? So I was fortunate. My mom was one of my greatest like motivators. She, she was the very similar in nature. She just kind of was a, got out to market, started a couple companies. They weren't very, you know, not big, but it just showed me that, you know, here's somebody that didn't have that as her background, didn't have the education, but she just was a pioneer in everything that she did. And so I just always use her as as my motivator. When I think about, you know, kind of who I follow is just leaning into her and and her her ability to to just kind of take the bull by the horns, if you will. Number three, what is your favorite online tool for building your company? Don't know that I necessarily have it. I would say just all of like AdAge and all the industry kind of publications. I don't really have a tool. I would say it's more about just keeping up with all of the different our our industry as your point as you mentioned is so fragmented. And just really leaning in on, you know, kind of the people that have their ear to the ground all the time. Hey, Clint, would you ever go buy AdAge as a, as a distribution channel play? It's interesting. Like the publisher play right now is, is a very interesting space. I can't say that we would get into that journey, but I think there's some areas within publishers where I think in the old model with ad networks, I think we're going to see some of that coming back, not in the ad networks perception, but first party data is becoming ever so important. And I think we're going to see a lot more publishers finding ways of it's not necessarily sharing. I think that's the old problem was there was too much sharing going on. But I think in the consolidation could create some opportunities. For yeah. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? I love to exercise. It's my stress relief. So I, I try to make sure every night it's at least eight. Good. Um, but that puts me in bed by like nine o'clock. <laughs> that's good. Well, what's your situation? Married, single kids? Married, two kids, six and eight. And uh, yeah, just it's an interesting that. journey finding that balance between all the things that you love. How old are you? I'm 39. 39. All right, Clint, last question. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Just don't be afraid. Like if you get out there, just sometimes it's just about being a pioneer and, and taking steps. I think in your 20s, you just, you realize you don't have that much to lose. I think if you, we all feel like we have to win big when we're young and it's a good time to take a couple risks. And, you know, I think you and I are, are sort of two. I, I started this when I was 29, so I barely made the cut, but did it. Uh, so in my 20s, took that risk and, and created something of, of sizable value. And, uh, you know, it's the time to, to, to do some of those things. So. Guys, adswerve.com broke $100 million last year in revenue, serving 800 customers, 60% of which are agencies directly. Each of those folks paying north of $100,000 in terms of ACVs, really for Clint's help to onboard them onto a lot of variety of different Google products related to their ad tech platforms. They have raised no capital, although they do work with a private equity firm to facilitate some M&A deals in the past and do some secondary team of 160 people based in Denver. As they look to scale, they try and optimize for less than a one-year payback period, but they are definitely in no rush with 30% EBITDA margins, taking plenty of cash to the bottom line every month. Clint, thanks for taking us to the top. Hey, Nathan, thank you. Appreciate the time.